0: morning, I want to talk to you about what we need as faith that works by love. I want to talk about a story to begin with. Everybody likes a story, right? I was a culporter for many years. That's how I worked my way through college, and I was so blessed. I just had thousands of miracles, but there's one that's always stuck stuck in my mind as a time that I spent time with the children of Abraham, people who live by faith. I was working on a Sunday afternoon, it so happened, in West Virginia. And Sunday afternoon can be a difficult time to work because people would rather be visiting with their family. And I remember specifically, I just kept going to one house after another where people were like, why are you here? We're trying to have Sunday lunch with our friends. And they were all dressed up. They'd obviously just come from their churches. And they were all irritated that I was there. Then I came to a home that was different. When they opened the door, they said, come in, come in. Can we get you a drink? They said, please sit down. Are you hungry? Is there anything we can do for you? I said, wow, well, thank you. And they said, what do you have? What is it that you're doing? I shared with them the books that I had. And they didn't have very much money, but they were very welcoming. They said, yes, we'd like to at least get something from you. These people were wonderful. In the short amount of time that I spent with them, and I wasn't there a long time, They were so kind, kept asking, is there anything that I can do for you? They were Muslims. And yet, when they knew I was a Christian, they offered, before I left the home, they said, listen, if ever you're back in our area, if you ever need a place to sleep, come knock on our door, it'll always be open for you. These people did not know me. This was not because i had spent two hours with them and they loved me so much. It was how they lived. And when I walked away from that door, I thought, wow, I've been on holy ground. I have been with the children of Abraham. Oh, that I could have a home like theirs. It was beautiful. You know, I've had the same experience many times meeting other people of many different faiths. Some of the most amazing people I've met have been Catholic nuns or priests you know I don't believe that their religion teaches an accurate picture of who God is their doctrines teach things about God that would make me not want to love him and yet they love him anyway it's beautiful to see that God works on people all around the world to learn to live out his law of love you see God is love and love is the fulfilling of his law isn't that amazing you know this word love is kind of overused in our culture. I remember going for a walk with my children, and we were just going down this nice big sidewalk in College Dale. and my son ran up ahead, Seth, and he, then he came running back to me. People, you know, were walking past us every now and then, and I noticed they were smiling. He came running back to me. He said, mommy, mommy, I'm getting in love with people, and I said, really, buddy? Why? This is, this is my more shy child. He said, mommy, I'm walking past people, and when I see them, I look at them and I smile at them. And then they smile back at me. And then I get in love with them. I said, well, that's wonderful, buddy. That's Jesus working in your heart. But that's not quite what I mean by love. What he meant was he was having warm feelings with people, right? In a lot of our culture, we want to think that warm feelings equals love. You know, there's the justice of God, and then there's the love of God. But the justice and mercy of God together make up the love of God. That's the character of God. So when I say love, I think we're we're in danger in this culture. First, we lived in a world that for a couple thousand years there, they were taught that God was not actually loving, that the justice of God was everything, and the mercy of God was very small. Now we have a culture that's swung the opposite way. Now the mercy of God is everything, and the justice of God is small and insignificant. But God wants us to understand love is the perfect combination of justice and mercy. It is the character of God. It is righteousness. And God wants to implant that righteousness within us. What does it mean to have the righteousness of Christ poured into us? It's not just the shallow love that the world says, yeah, you just got to love them. If they want to live that way, if they want to do that, I don't worry about it. I'm just going to love them. I'm going to be loving. That's not quite what God means, is it? We all love love if we get to redefine it according to our selfish feelings. Everybody loves love. I love lots of people, but there are people that I don't feel like loving, and those are the ones that tell me whether I'm actually a loving person, right? Laodicea, at the end of time, is immersed in a feeling-based culture. We're told that men shall be lovers of their own selves, right? We all love, but God doesn't want us to love ourselves. He wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbors as ourselves. That doesn't mean we hate ourselves. It means we see every person as priceless in the light of the cross. I so appreciate the songs that you shared this morning. They're exactly what we need to understand the love of Christ. You see, in Laodicea, where we love ourselves, we say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and do not know that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked you know we're living in a culture with a terrifying sense of self-image we are great we are wonderful the self-esteem movement has taken root and has swept the nation and we're seeing the fruits of it in people who think they're entitled to whatever they feel like having what do we need to live within this culture but not be of this culture To be in the world but not of the world. How do we do that? How can God do that within us? He says, this is what you need. I counsel you to buy of me, what? Gold tried in the fire. What does the gold tried in the fire do? How can that be the key to setting us free from our comfort zone living? Christ's object lesson says, The gold tried in the fire is faith that works by love. Only this can bring us into harmony with God. We may be active, we may do much work. And this is what we're known for, right? There are many people who would be here right now, but they're down in San Antonio ministering to people. Most of us, I think, we try to share the gospel with those around us, right? We may be active, we may do much work, but without love, such love as dwelt in the heart of Christ, we can never be numbered with the family of heaven. We're going to talk more tomorrow about the family of heaven, what it's really like. But it's so beautiful to think of what it can be like to be a lover like them. Now, let's look at a biblical definition of love. What is the law of God? What are the two principles of the law of God? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's so simple, right? not easy but simple God wants us to love to live by the principle that he lives by so we let him pour his character into us filling us with himself then we love him and it spills over to everyone around us that is love what is sin what is this thing that stops his love from pouring into us and pouring through us to others sin simply the transgression of the law right it's self-absorption. It's thinking that my rights, my needs, my desires take a higher priority over God's will, and God's way. You see, it's interesting. The law is relational, isn't it? It's all about love. Now, it'll, it'll take root in our lives and bear fruit in lots of other ways and actions, right? If I love God, I want my body to be the temple of God. That means I eat carefully. That means I exercise. I drink lots of water. I do things because I want a clear mind so that I can connect deeply with him. But that's not what it's about. That's the fruit of wanting a relationship with God. You see, all the law-keeping, all of love, is relational. And if all of righteousness is relational then the breaking of the law is also relational, right? Doesn't that make sense? All sin is rooted in broken relationship. First I break with God, and then it all goes downhill in my relationships with others, right? So every sin can be tracked back to a broken relationship with God, which leads to a breaking relationship with others. If all of sin is relational, and all of the law is relational, that means that the keeping of the law, righteousness is also relational, isn't it? This is the beauty of how the gospel works. When I am on my own, a carnal person doing what I naturally do, I walk around severing relationship with everybody. Anybody who doesn't make me feel good, I sever. Who do I keep? The ones that make me feel good. Still selfish, right? And when God comes into me and he pours his righteousness into me, I start being consumed with his glory, not my own. Then it starts Pouring out into my relationships with others. Where sin is a breaking influence. Everywhere sin goes. It poisons relationship. It devastates relationship. And everywhere righteousness goes. It brings healing. Unto you that fear my name. Shall the son of righteousness arise. With healing in his wings. Righteousness flows into our relationships with others. Bringing healing. Bringing freedom. When I love well. It may not change my relationship with the other person necessarily. Because righteousness It can come from me, but relationship is two-way. They may not love me back. So it doesn't mean that all relationships are going to magically be great, but it means that I can keep loving them. And even if they don't love me back, it may not change them. It may not change their relationship with me, but it'll change me, and that's got to be good enough. To let Christ come into me, the hope of glory, and transform me, even in the most painful relationships, even in the ones that never stop causing me pain, This is the beauty of the gospel. It teaches us to love. Christ's object lesson says, God's law is the transcript of his character. It embodies the principles of his kingdom. Love is that perfect balance of justice and mercy. The character of God. Correct doctrine is so important. I don't don't want anyone to say, well, you know, she just says love is all that matters. No, doctrine is important, but... Correct doctrine is important because it helps me to love God. If I see what he's really like, which is what correct doctrine does, I go, wow, he loves me like that? He's not going to burn me forever, even though that's what I deserve for my sin? He loves me. He's going to give me an opportunity to see why he made the decisions he did before he destroys those who deserve to be destroyed forever. Wow, he's an amazing God. The more I see of God in the correct doctrine taken from his word the more i'm going to love him the more i'm going to love others this is why lucifer's sin was so horrific because he was a guardian of the law he stood by the ark he stood by the throne he knew what god's love was like like nobody else in heaven except god and he chose to defy that that was why there was nothing more god could do god could not reveal his love to Lucifer anymore because Lucifer knew exactly what love was. He knew what the law was. He knew why the universe was run by a law of love. And he said, No, I'd rather actually try to exalt myself. The mystery of iniquity. Acts of the Apostle says the completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. You want perfection of character? God wants us to have perfection of character too. But this is what it is. When the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within, I've got a pretty good idea that Christ is within me, the hope of glory. He's pouring through me. It is the atmosphere of this love surrounding the soul of the believer that makes him a savor of life unto life and enables God to bless his work. If we want Christ to flow through us, to bring people to the kingdom, the answer is to spend time beholding his love. First John 3 says this too, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see how righteousness and love are used as synonyms in the Bible, in the spirit of prophecy too. Everywhere you'll see righteousness and love work together because they are one. They're both descriptions of the character Oh God, sometimes I see how, how people who are, seem to be meaning well, they're trying to defend truth and righteousness online, and yet I look at some of the, the conversations that they have blasting one another. And I think, wow, how can you sleep at night when you've spoken to a brother or a sister in this derogatory way? I'm not going to say whether that person is saved or lost, but it breaks my heart to see people treating one another as trash, trampling on one another in order to climb higher to the kingdom. That's not the way of Christ, is it? Christ's Object Lessons also says the last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of what? His character of love. This is what true doctrine is. This is what righteousness is. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. Sometimes we don't have to say very much to bring a person to go, wow, what is it that you have that gives you such peace in the midst of a stressful situation, that helps you to be kind to those who aren't kind to you? This must be something different than what I have. The glory of God, the perfection of Christian character, is to be the aim The purpose of our life, says our high calling. What does that mean? The perfection of Christian character, the glory of God. What is this perfection? It's the perfect keeping of a relational law. To love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself, and just see where that goes. When love for God and love for man is the motivation of my heart, and I believe God wants to continue daily growing me so that I want that more and more. I become more and more like him. That will flow out into my life in all kinds of beautiful, righteous ways. Righteousness is the keeping of a law of love. And that's what God wants us to have from communion with him. You know, I'm raising three children. me, <clears throat> Three children who aren't always perfectly righteous for some reason. I would love to say it's my husband's influence, but I happen to know my own genetics might have influenced them too. And, you know, how do I teach my children to love? It's not by ordering them to love. It's not by locking them in the room and saying, you're going to love God and me or you're not getting out for supper. It's by loving them, isn't it? It's by communing with them, showing them what the love of God is like. His love flowing through me to them makes them want to love me, makes them want to love him. That doesn't mean that it's a foolproof process. God himself, shining his love into Lucifer's life, couldn't change him. Jesus, living right there with Judas, couldn't change him. But it is belief, faith in a parent's love that teaches a child to love them back, isn't it? Believing that this parent truly loves them. We read stories of children who have been adopted from an orphanage somewhere, who have been so abused, so neglected, That when they come to a a home that's filled with love, they simply can't believe that this parent does love them because their belief of who God thinks of them, who, who they are as people has been so stained by sin. They just want to look out for themselves. It's still faith that unlocks the key for us to believe that we are loved, whether we're loved or not, because all of us are deeply loved. But how do we connect? How do we let that love pour into us and through us to others? It's by believing. Tomorrow we're going to talk more about belief and what it does in our, in our hearts and our minds. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that it's by beholding that we're changed, right? As we look at the love of Christ. This is what our devotional time is supposed to be about every day. Not just preparing a Bible study to share with somebody else. Not just getting through my Bible reading plan. But beholding his love. Seeing how much he loves me. How much he cares about the things that are bothering me in my life right now. This is how he writes his law in our hearts. This is how he leads us to believe that he loves us with an everlasting love and helps us to love others. Why didn't that work with Lucifer? Why could he be in the presence of God's love and yet not love in response? The Bible tells us the sad story of what happened. You know, it's it's so incredible to me to see how Lucifer could be living in the light and the glory of such incredible, immeasurable love, and yet decide he wanted to exalt himself. You see, he knew the Father dwelt on the throne in light unapproachable. That was his role. That was something that the angels needed. They needed to know that the Father was love, but he was also dwelling on a throne in light unapproachable. But God wanted to be with them. And so Jesus mingled with the angels sitting there underneath the peach tree, sucking the juice out of sweet peaches and laughing and talking with the angels, worshiping the Father together. They needed that kind of revelation of the love of God to see God with them, walking around, talking with them. And they needed the Holy Spirit to be with them in a different way. So if they weren't at the throne, they weren't sitting under the tree with Jesus, anywhere they were in heaven, God was with them in the Holy Spirit. In this beautiful, glorious, unspeakably wonderful atmosphere, how could Lucifer decide, I want more? You see, God was always seeking to serve. And when Lucifer saw Jesus going into the light unapproachable to commune with the Father, he had this impulse that's so natural to us, but was so foreign to them. Hey, how come he gets what I don't get? I want that. How come he gets to be higher than me? And so he started saying something to the other angels. You know, did you see that? We're both covering cherubs. You saw that, right? But did you see what he does? I think God is unfair. Lucifer wanted the highest place, and the angels were like, what? You want a higher place? None of us could even imagine that. Why would anybody want to go higher? Everyone in heaven wants to go lower. Everyone in heaven wants to serve, to seek the lowest place, to be the one who ministers to others. Why would you try to get higher than Jesus? So the Father gathered everyone together, explained more fully. We don't know exactly how that went, but Lucifer came to understand, Jesus has a right to be over me. He actually is the creator. He actually has been here for all of eternity. He is Equal with the Father, but He came down here to serve, to be alongside us, to pretend like He was like us, because He wanted to be one with us. He wanted to be Emmanuel, God with us, sitting under the peach tree. And the angels were just overwhelmed once again with the glory of God that He not only dwelt in light unapproachable to be worshiped, but that He came and sat with them because He wanted to be with them. And Lucifer said, No, I want to be higher. I deserve, I will be like the most high. In this foreign, completely unfathomable way of thinking, he began influencing the angels so that others started going, you know, it would be kind of nice to be the highest. Instead of when everybody goes to the peach tree and they see, wow, look at this beautiful peach. It's bigger than any other on the tree. Who could I give it to? Suddenly they're going, I got to get that peach before somebody else gets it. And heaven was stained with sin. God doesn't want us to live that way. He's willing to pour into us the ability to live the way they live in heaven. We're going to talk more tomorrow about Lucifer's sins of self-exaltation. But it boils down to two things. Lucifer had unbelief first. All sin, I believe, starts with unbelief. If I can't believe... In the character of God, if I can't believe he's loving, if I can't believe he's good, if I can't believe he's righteous, I'm going to try to be what God isn't being. I'm going to try to take his place. I will be like the most high. And unbelief inevitably leads to pride. Always, always, always. You cannot separate the two. Unbelief and pride are the cycle at the root of all sin. What happened with Lucifer? I can't believe that God is good. Maybe he's not actually just, because he's doing this thing that doesn't make sense to me. In other words, Lucifer put his judgment above God's. At the moment that he stopped believing that God was love, that God was just, he started going, if I were God, I'd do it better than what he does. What higher pride can you have than that? And what does he do when he comes to Eve? He says, hey, Eve, ye shall be as gods. You and Adam can take the place of God. And Eve said, you know, that actually sounds kind of good. I'd like to be a God. All sin starts in unbelief and pride. I would challenge you to find any sin in your life or in any life in Scripture or in any life anywhere you've seen that isn't rooted in unbelief and pride. When I shout at my children, it's because I want the power of God without the love of God. I don't want the character of God. I just want them to do what I want. It's pride, and it comes from unbelief. I can't believe that God will work within them and within me for his glory. I get frustrated. I want it my way. Pride and unbelief, it's always there at the heart of everything. But if unbelief and pride are at the heart of all sin, that's kind of good news because God has promised to give us the gifts of faith and humility. They're the beginning of all righteousness. All the breaking of the law of God, all unrighteousness starts with unbelief and pride then all righteousness, all healing of relationship, all keeping of the law of God must begin with faith and humility. Faith and humility are also a cycle. The more faith I have in who God really is, the more I see myself through his eyes as such a small worm and at the same time so priceless, so immeasurably loved in the light of the cross This is the secret of having a bond with God that will never break. This is the secret that Laodicea needs to make it through the time of trouble. To see God for who he is and to see ourselves for who we are. The youth instructor said, without love, one for another, we do not keep the commandments of God. And all our profession is mere pretension. Whatever is contrary to love, humility, and faith denies Christ. These are beautiful principles I'm sharing. And I hope that every person will go away from here so blessed. But I want to be sure I admit I'm just as sinful as the next person. I'm preaching a gospel I don't fully live. I have so far to go. I want to develop more faith and humility every day. But pride and unbelief are always only a step away. I remember when I was in college, there was a a young man in the, the college with me. And this isn't going where you might think. We didn't love each other. (laughs) It was the opposite. We hated each other. And it was mostly my fault. I was the one who hated him first. I don't even remember how it all started. He would make little remarks, little jibes at me. I didn't appreciate it. I would make little jibes back at him. I'd look for opportunities. And then there were times that I just outright despised him. I remember one time, we, were, we both happened to be in the touring choir, so nearly every weekend we got to spend the whole weekend together under high stress. That wasn't healthy. And I remember this one time we actually got in a shouting match in the car, and everybody's like, whoa, what's happening? It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't Christ in me. And when I left after that year, I prayed, Lord, help him not to come back. Not very righteous prayer, was it? And the Lord didn't answer it the way I hoped. He was back the next year. And then, praise God, he didn't give up on me. He started speaking to me. Nicole, the way you're treating Kenny is wrong. And I tried spitting back at him. You know, God, the way that Kenny treats me is wrong. By this time, we had gotten in a really good cycle of unbelief and pride together. We hated each other, and everybody knew it. So I decided I needed to do the right thing no matter how I felt. I wrote him a letter. I put it into his mailbox. I slammed it. I did not feel a particle of love toward this man. But I was choosing to do what was right. I told him, I'm sorry for the way that I've treated you. I know I've been wrong. Please forgive me. And if it's possible, I hope you can see me as a sister in Christ. I knew the first time I saw him after he had read the letter. Because he gave me this sheepish glance and he said, Hi, sis. And that was the first time I had the first feeling of anything like, maybe I could love this guy. I chose to love, but it wasn't a feeling thing, I can promise you. But when God started working in my heart and in his heart, we began to be able to build a beautiful friendship so that when he actually did leave, not long after that, he moved away, he came and said goodbye to me. He said, I just want to be sure I said goodbye to you, sis. You know, this is funny. I can't believe that of all the people here, I would actually make sure that I said goodbye to you. God was at work doing what could never have come from within us, and he did it by faith that worked by love. He did it by overcoming my pride, which was very strong and still is. It's always right there at my elbow, ready to take over if I'll just let it have the wheel, and giving me humility, seeing myself in the light of what Christ had done for me. Together, this cycle of righteousness, faith that works by love, faith that brings about humility, these transform us into the image of Christ. And that is the most glorious thing that can possibly happen for any of us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we are so unworthy and you are so loving. Come and work within us, Lord. Do your miracle. Bring us into harmony with your will and with your law and help us as we prepare for the Sabbath today to be deeply blessed by the messages that we hear, to be transformed into your image moment by moment in our relationship with you and with others. Thank you, Lord. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,